history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 88th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're going to be featuring Homestead Sanitarium. This location was suggested to us by Sarah from St. Louis. This is a location in New York. And Denise, this is another one of those locations that's reputation seems to be a little bit bigger than the actual reality of the situation. We had a heck of a time researching this and finding really any information on the sanitarium for number one. And number two, although it's listed on many most haunted lists, and as a matter of fact, I believe it's one of the top five most haunted places in Albany, New York, we didn't find a whole lot of evidence of any kind of haunting going on there. This is one of those properties that they've closed up, and if you trespass, they will call the cops on you. So it's really hard for anybody to have actually been there to experience anything because this has been closed up for some time. So there's a lot of urban legends involved. So we'll get into sharing those with you and sharing as much of the history as we can. We'll be going down a few rabbit holes, and one of those is going to feature the California California Gold Rush, because the man who was behind the financing of the sanitarium and giving them the land, that's where he got most of his money from. So we thought that we would go ahead and share some ghost stories that pertain to the California Gold Rush. So stick around to the end of the show and we will share some of those just to kind of fill in some of the holes that are going to be in today's episode. Before we get into that, we'd like you to check out our website, historygoesbump.com. It has everything you could want to know about the show, where to find us on social media and other such things. And Denise, if they want to get a hold of us, where can they write to us? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We've had a slew of people join us at the Spooktacular crew. We'd like to welcome the slew crew. (laughs) The slew crew. That's what they've become now. We have John. Hey, John. Jess with only one S. Hi, Jess with one S. Jenna. Hey, Jenna. Amy with two E's. Hi, Amy with two E's. Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Run it. Hey, run it. Melissa D. Hello, Melissa D. Marlis. And I hey. hope I said that right. Hey, Marlis. Or it could be Marley. Marlies. I'm not sure. I don't know. Marlis, Marlies. We'll give them both. Melody. Hey, Melody. Betsy. Hi, Betsy. Beth. Hey, Beth. Tara. Hey, Tara. Melissa H. Hey, Melissa H. Amber. Hey, Amber. Paulette, who's from Puerto Rico. Go. Hey, Paulette. Mariessa. Hey, Mariessa. Amy Lynn. Hi, Amy Lynn. And Mike. Hey, Mike. The guys are getting a little outnumbered by girls. We need to get some more guys in here. I don't know. The guys might disagree with that, but hey. Uh, Yeah, they actually probably like it that way. (laughs) Maybe I better shut up, huh? We got a comment from Melissa over at the website. I love to listen to you guys when I'm at work, and occasionally I find my boss sitting on the other side of the machine listening right along with me. I love that you enjoy the subject so much it comes through on your episodes. I am binge listening right now, so I'm not completely current, but I did notice that you have one on Myrtle's plantation. I visited and stayed the night there two years years ago and can't wait until I get to that one. Love the podcast and thanks for giving me a little chuckle now and then when I'm at work. So I asked Melissa, since she stayed overnight at the Myrtles, 
did anything happen to you? And? And she said, yes, I was tucked in a couple times. And I'm assuming she doesn't mean by somebody else who was with her. Yeah, not her mommy. Waking up with the blankets tucked around me and woke up with someone tugging on my toe. I did get several weird pictures. And yeah, I would do it a hundred times over. It was so nice there. Wow. I don't know if I would do it a hundred times over if somebody tugged my toe. And then we had Nissa ask over on the website, I was wondering what your other podcast is. I've heard you refer to another podcast, but I wasn't sure if I heard correctly. I've been listening for two weeks now and I love the show. I listen as I drive to and from school and work. So I had responded back to her that I wasn't sure exactly what she was talking about because it could be one of two things. Because we have mentioned The Twilight Hour, which is a live internet show that we did very briefly, maybe 10 episodes if even if people want to listen to that it's over on blog talk radio and it's under freedom's wings radio network so that could be one of the things you might have heard us mentioning or we also have our haunted true crime podcast which of course is for people who are financially backing the show at five dollars or more a month and just a way for us to thank people for supporting the show in that way which we did get quite a few uh i think we got three new executive producers Excellent. And I think what we're going to do today, Denise, is we're going to switch to just doing first names. And then as we start getting more and more support, we might do it so that it's like doing a certain number for this episode, a certain number for that episode, that kind of thing. Oh, we can talk fast. We got a message from Heather over on the website. I love your podcast. I'm currently listening to your Krampus cast and just remembered something my grandmother used to tell me every year. Her family was German and every year a very scary man would chase the children with a switch across the fields to the creek, but they would come back to gifts in their shoes. We've been joking around and calling our dog Krampus when she's naughty, but now that I've made the connection, I think I'm done. (laughs) no more Krampus puppy and what I would love to know Heather is when you mentioned that there was a man who would chase the children is this a story she told you or was there literally a guy who would chase the kids around with a switch like play acting or something of that nature and then Jessica pointed this out and we had Dan Foytek over at the house last evening recording for our Christmas special this year. And he had mentioned this as well. Part of our pop culture when it comes to Krampus, she said, I've been enjoying your podcast since October. Love the combination of history and spooky. I did have to immediately jump on and point out that you missed the office's reference to Krampus told by Dwight. Who else? He introduced me to that scary being when he told the children about him during an office Christmas party. He's so creepy. Then again, more recently by the enchanted Christopher Waltz had to share. Thanks, lady. So thanks for sharing that, Jessica. And neither one of us watched The Office. I'm sure we are getting daggers for that. And that's why we didn't catch that one. But Dan had pointed that out, too. We've added more TV shows that we've been trying to follow this year than ever, ever before. And we can't keep up with them. That's true. We did get a couple more reviews over at iTunes. We have Lilith Gray, four stars, engaging blend of history and supernatural lore, good background, listening to daily life. I'm sad I'm almost out of old shows. Thanks for listening, Lilith. And we have Molo the Bibliophile, five-star awesome. You can really tell they take the time to do research. The content is so good. The hosts are easy to listen to. I can't say enough good things. I just started listening to them and instantly fell in love with the podcast. Well, thank you, Molo. We appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Five stars. Nod to the odd. Nice job, ladies. Hello from Canada. I work outdoors and your podcast fits in nicely with my mix. Well done. Thank you, Nod. Thank you, Nod. Well, Denise, are you ready to go to the sanitarium? Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. 
for $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. A man was snorkeling in the Colorado River near the Arizona and California border. Most people, when they go snorkeling, expect to see some fish and cool underwater geography, but probably not skeletons, especially skeletons sitting in lawn chairs at the bottom of the riverbed, complete with sunglasses. The man was terrified by the sight and promptly reported it to the La Paz County Sheriff. The police assumed they had a couple of dead bodies on their hands until they saw the skeletons. They realized they were fake. They had been strapped to the lawn chairs, which had been bound to large boulders. One of the skeletons held a sign inferring that he was Bernie from the Weekend at Bernie's movie. The police decided to not investigate who might have placed the skeletons in the water, and they figured it was just a fun prank. The sheriff's office thought that perhaps they would recover the skeletons and put them outside the building for fun. We're not sure if they did, but a fake skeleton underwater tea party certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. This day in history. This episode's This Day in History is brought to us by April Rogers Crick. On this day, December 9th in 1907, the American Lung Association Christmas Seals went on sale for the first time in the United States. During the early 20th century, tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in the U.S. In sanatoriums, doctors were finally experiencing some success treating patients. A tiny sanitarium on the Brandywine Creek in Delaware had fallen on hard times, and if $300 could be raised, its doors would not have to close. One of the doctors from the sanitarium explained the problem to his cousin, a volunteer named Emily Bissell. Being a veteran fundraiser, Bissell soon came up with a plan based on an idea that had worked in Denmark. In 1904, Enar Holbol, a Danish postal clerk, developed the idea of adding an extra stamp on mailed holiday greetings during Christmas. The money raised from the sale of this extra stamp could be used to help sick children with tuberculosis. The success of this charitable stamp inspired Emily Bissell to design a stamp that could be sold for a penny each at the local post office in Delaware. The fundraiser was so successful that they ended up raising ten times the amount needed to keep the sanitarium open. By 1908, Bissell's idea grew to a national program. Through World War I, the Great Depression, and World War II, the tradition continued. As the American Lung Association's mission expanded to include research into other respiratory diseases such as lung cancer, more people began to send Christmas seals. In the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, the American Lung Association stepped up to protect children and families from pollution and cigarette smoke. So did Americans with their continued support each year by supporting the Christmas seals tradition. Today, the American Lung Association still uses the sale of Christmas seals to fund a majority of their research and programs. History Goes Bump Podcast. Many people mistakenly refer to the Homestead Sanitarium as an asylum, but it was never an asylum. 
Although abandoned and derelict, the building still stands grandiose and beautiful, and it would be a shame to see it torn down. The benefactor of the property, Horace Carpenter, would not want to see that happen either. For decades, those with TB called Homestead Home, and many of them died here. And for those who don't know what TB is, it was tuberculosis. Is that why the place is rumored to be haunted? Or is it just because it's a large, abandoned building with a history? Join us as we look at the history and hauntings of the Saratoga County Homestead Sanitarium. Horace W. Carpenter, and the way that name is spelled is C-A-R-P-E-N-T-I-E-R, was born in 1824 near Barkersville, New York, to James and Henrietta Carpenter. The family name had originally been Carpenter, spelled as we would all recognize it, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-R, but Horace's grandfather changed it to the Carpenter spelling with the I-E-R at the end. Their branch of the family tree was the only one to take on this spelling. The family lived in Galway, which was a part of Saratoga County. Horace attended Columbia Law School and graduated in 1848 with a degree in law. That same year, gold nuggets were found in the Sacramento Valley in California. Soon, the California gold rush was on, and men found themselves traveling across America or by boat around Cape Horn to find their riches. One of these men was Horace. He boarded the ship Panama to sail around the Horn, and on August 8, 1849, he arrived in California. On the ship, he met Andrew Moon, and the two men fostered a successful business relationship in both law and real estate. Politics soon entered the picture, and Horace decided to run for state senator. He was unsuccessful, but he did not give up. He tried for state superintendent of public instruction and again failed. What is a man to do in such circumstances? Well, go look for gold, of course. His fellow law partners, Andrew Moon and Edson Adams, joined his efforts. Adams had already located some land that measured around 160 acres and laid claim to it by squatting on it in 1850. Horse and Moon claimed the same amount of acreage to the east and west of that property, and that land would come to measure 200 city blocks. The area was incorporated as Contra Costa, and we know it today as Oakland, California. Horace finally broke into politics in 1851 as a Senate enrollment clerk, and the position allowed him to make several political connections. At the same time, Horace started a ferry service between Oakland and San Francisco. It flourished, and he sold the operation to another man while holding on to the contract for 20 years, and he soon became a rich man. He worked with his partners and other politicians to incorporate Oakland as an official town in 1852. He managed to get the rights to the entire waterfront, and people went along with it because he promised to build a school and a wharf. The school was completed in July of 1852. There was a lot going on behind the scenes, though, and Horace was wielding his power and doing things that made him one of those most hated men around. There was a lot going on behind the scenes, though, and Horace was wielding his power and doing things that made him one of the most hated men around. But he also had a lot of fans because he could be very charming, and he'd become fluent in Spanish and claimed to be a former padre. To make people feel better, Horace placed the waterfront property into the name of his cousin Harriet, although he continued to control much of what happened in the area. In 1854, despite not having the best reputation with the people, Horace was elected the first mayor of Oakland. Members of the city council decided to put a halt to Horace's monopoly on the waterfront, and they passed a measure to build another wharf. Of course, the new mayor would not sign off on such a thing, and a political war began. 
Horace would serve only two years. He turned his sights to the railroad and made a lot of money with that venture as well. He was worth up to $20 million at one time and gave much of his estate away before he died on January 31, 1918, at the age of 94. One part of his estate was his father's homestead, and he deeded that to Saratoga County in hopes that a tuberculosis sanatorium would be built there. He also donated $5,600 in 1915 to get a 20-bed facility built. He maintained the road outside the sanatorium, providing $1,000 every year, and he named the road after his Chinese butler because of his loyalty. His will left $40,000 to the sanatorium. Saratoga County was formed from its parent Albany County in 1791. It's bordered by the Indirondack Mountains. Numerous lakes and streams, there's rolling farmland, the Hudson River forms the eastern and northern boundary of the county, and the Mohawk River, the southernmost boundary. Nathaniel Sylvester, in his book, History of Saratoga County, says, In the angle formed by the junction of these two long, deep valleys or passes through the mountain ranges, in the angle between the old Indian war trails, in the angle between the pathway of armies, in the angle between the great modern routes of travel, in the angle formed by the junction of the Mohawk and Hudson Rivers lies the territory now known as the County of Saratoga. Native Americans used the lands here in Saratoga County for hunting and fishing grounds. The name Sirac Togu was given to the Hudson River area by the Mohawk, meaning hillside of a great river or place of the swift water. In 1777, during the American Revolution, General Gates defeated British forces under General Burgione at the Battles of Saratoga. And Saratoga County was also a gateway for the westward migration of many settlers. And that's because the Mohawk River provided a passageway through the Appalachian Mountains. And today, over 200,000 people call this county home. I couldn't find hardly anything on this building. So basically what I'm going to be doing here is describing what it looks like based on pictures that we've seen and also on some illegal footage. And I will say I'm using the term illegal because there's no trespassing on this property, but there are several videos on YouTube that you can watch where some of the urban explorers, as we like to call them, have ventured inside and filmed inside. So kind of getting a feel for what it might have looked like because, of course, the condition that this building is in now is atrocious, which is one of the reasons why they don't want people trespassing because it's definitely not safe. With a lot of the other sanitariums, we had descriptions of the buildings and what went on in the buildings. We have lists of people who were there, why they were there. We know about what kind of treatment was used. There is nothing on this. I dug and I dug. And when this happens, there's a few things that are possibilities. Number one, the records could have all just been burned up somewhere and they're just gone. The other thing is they've just been placed somewhere where nobody's actually looked at them before. Nobody's taken the time to organize them. Nobody's written a book. So they need to be compiled or people are hiding information. If they're hiding information, it does cause you to wonder what was going on in this place. And when people feel like something might have been hidden, that's why you're going to get legends and other things that crop up, especially when you have young people who are near a location and you get rumors going and they can come up with all kinds of fabulous stories, which we'll be sharing with you in a moment. Absolutely. Especially when you get an old dilapidated building, it seems like imaginations run wild. Exactly. The Saratoga County Homestead Sanitarium officially opened in 1914. 
The first building was built from wood, but later replaced with the building that stands today. And it really is a beautiful building. Of course, all of the windows are pretty much knocked out of it. But you can tell that at one time, it was really beautiful. This main building was built in 1932 in the classical architectural style with large columns lining the front entrance. Red brick and wood were the main building materials, and based on photos we've seen in its dilapidated present condition, hallways were long with rooms coming off of them, and stairs were built from wood with fancy carved banisters. There were separate areas for girls and boys, and these titles were carved in the concrete above the doorways. Some referenced the hospital as an asylum, but it never housed the mentally ill. Its main purpose was to help patients with TB. It was believed the clean mountain air here would be good for the lungs. In 1960, the sanitarium closed because the need to treat TB was gone. It reopened in 1961 as the Saratoga County Infirmary, which was basically a public nursing home. This remained open until 1979. The building was sold in 1980 to Bruce Horan, who had planned to open a treatment facility, but this was abandoned. Patrick Brereton bought the property from Scheiman and Dervinowicz LLC for $60,000 in 2015. The property is fenced off and there is no trespassing, as Diane already said. A caretaker lives next door. In January of 2012, a teenager named Noel Johnson died in a traffic accident near the property of the sanitarium, prompting officials to seal off the property. And this is a true story. This is not a legend. They believe that she was there along with other teenagers because they wanted to check out the quote-unquote haunted hospital. Now, there are rumors that if you take something from the building like a book, that you will be cursed. And there has been a lot of stuff that was just left here. People thought that somebody left in a hurry and they didn't take everything with them. So there is a lot of stuff that's been left behind. Had this teenager taken something with her? Who knows? But police are called on trespassers but they generally will not enter the building or go into the property anywhere. Is this out of fear of asbestos and other hazards, or is there something else going on here, something unexplained? Cecil wrote about an experience he had with his sister. Quote, My sister and I came to visit Saratoga a few years back and was looking for a place to play disc golf, but we ended up getting turned around and stumbled upon this place. We thought it would be a good idea to jump the fence and take a peek inside just to get our thrills. When we went inside, I was so glad it was during the day because at night I would have just stayed outside. After about 20 minutes inside, we got a few picks and decided to get the hell out. But as I was driving down the road, we started to feel sick and have headaches like something was on or in us. It was a few minutes later that my sister pulled out a tile she took from the place. My superstitious thought was to return it immediately, so my sis agreed, and we went back to return the tile. Once the tile was returned, we both felt better and got the hell out of Dodge, end quote. Let's deal with the rumors, or what we like to call the urban legends. People tell a story about an evil doctor who liked to experiment on women, particularly on their reproductive organs. He ended up killing many of them and claiming they had died from tuberculosis. There are no records to back this up because supposedly they burned. I will say that it seems there are not many records for this location anywhere. Did this doctor actually exist? Who knows? We don't have a name or anything to back that up. But that is one of the urban legends they tell. A film called The Expedition is said to be based on two events when a Canadian film crew entered the Homestead Sanitarium on Halloween in 2004 to make a documentary. There were five of them but by the time they left in the morning, there were only four of them. 
No one knows what happened to the fifth, who was named Thomas Krang. We were unable to find any record of this, and I would assume that there would be some kind of news story or report somewhere. So is this true? Well, we doubt it. So this is kind of like one of those found footage movies. Similar, you remember the Blair Witch Project? Yes, I do. That was creepy. Yeah, it was the first one to do something like that. And since it was the original, obviously it was the best. There hasn't been too many that can compete with that. The expedition is supposed to be similar to that, kind of set up like a documentary. It says it's based on true events. So uh, maybe a Canadian film crew went in there and tried to do a documentary and had some weird stuff happen to them. But I'm thinking if you have a film crew in somewhere and they lose a member, that there would be a report in a newspaper somewhere, a police report of a missing person somewhere. Nothing. It was a plan to get rid of that guy. Yeah, maybe they sacrificed him on an altar in there somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> the aliens got him. So, again, not sure that this actually ever happened. The movie is available on Amazon, and all of the reviews on it are very bad. So I don't know that I would spend the money on it. There weren't too many people that thought it was very good. Horace Carpenter was buried at the nearby Barkersville Cemetery, and it's believed that he is one of the ghosts haunting the sanitarium. Children were rarely seen outside of the buildings, but they were here, and there are claims of hearing the disembodied sound of children giggling, and a girl apparition has been witnessed. People claim a heaviness inside the buildings and feel like the chapel holds some kind of evil entity. The website, thefreegeorge.com, claims this location to be one of the top haunted locations in Albany. But there's not much verifiable information about hauntings out there. That's what's really so hard. We get all these ones. It's like, oh, this place is going to be super haunted because of all the stories. And then once you start reading the research, there's not a whole lot of substance. No, it's kind of like when we did Broncastle. Because sometimes I just pick a location because I'm thinking it's got to be haunted. Or it appears on lists for haunted locations. So you assume, okay, well, they've got to have some evidence of it. And then when you start digging, it's like, okay, where's the stuff? And part of the problem is by the time we get to this point or I start doing a lot of digging, I've already invested so much into it that it's like, well, I've either wasted several, several hours if we don't do this location or do we go with it and try to make the best of it. And as you can tell, we went with it and we're making the best of it. (laughs) I wish. Now, this person just bought it, I think, in January I don't know why somebody would buy it if unless they're planning on tearing it down and putting something else there. Or I'm hoping that somebody's thinking about some kind of renovation, which would be nice. And I'm telling you, these places, if you can get it so that it's safe and get the asbestos out of there and make it so that people can come through on tours and things, you can finance that renovation pretty easily by allowing ghost groups to come in there and do investigations, and then we would have some kind of evidence and stuff. Or heck, open some of the rooms as a bed and breakfast because people love to stay in haunted well, places. Well, eventually they could get to that place, but you well, know, until they get with, there. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like Waverly Sanitarium. It's always just kind of been a place where people can go do tours, but they are trying to turn it into a hotel. So eventually it will be that. Horace Carpenter cared about this place. So is it possible that he decided to stay in the afterlife? Is the Homestead Sanitarium haunted? That is for you to decide. And as we mentioned earlier, since this place was kind of a bust, we thought we'd look into ghosts connected to the California Gold Rush. And we found this story about a ghost named Eleanor at Murphy's Historic Hotel. Eleanor came to work at Murphy's Historic Hotel in the early 1860s 
when the hotel was known as the Sperry and Perry House. Eleanor worked there as a chambermaid. As happened with many young ladies during the gold rush, she found herself falling in love with a miner. She married him, and he went off to find their fortune. And he never returned. Eleanor continued to work at the hotel as she waited and waited for him to return. Her duties expanded to working in the kitchen and running the front desk. She died 30 years later, never having her husband return to her. It was after her death that the guests started to notice strange things happening in the hotel. Eleanor is seen as a full-bodied apparition in the kitchen, and occasionally small objects go flying without assistance in the kitchen. A maintenance man claims that coffee beans were thrown at him once in the kitchen when nobody was in there with him. Eleanor also plays with the locks. She tries to wiggle the master lock free, and this can go on for hours. She also pushes open closed doors, especially upstairs in the Mark Twain ballroom during staff meetings. Some people claim to see her reflection in the mirror of the hutch in the gold room, an area off of the main dining room. A picture of Eleanor is nearby. Two guests staying in room nine got so spooked that they left the hotel and did not ask for their money back. And this story is from Nancy Bradley. She's a psychic who's written a book about hauntings on Prospector Road and other haunted highways in her book, The Incredible World of Gold Rush Ghosts, True Stories of Hauntings in the Mother Load. The winding hillside known as Prospector Road is considered one of the most haunted roads in the Gold Rush country. Its pavement runs over old mines, old claims, and the bodies that lived its history. In some cases, the collapse of tunnels gave miners premature burials, and some died as a result of being eliminated by other greedy miners. Prospector Road is in some places little more than a one-lane path as it runs the seven-mile stretch adjacent to the convenient and more traveled country-built Marshall Road. Prospector Road was built by Chinese labor in the 1800s and cuts the winding mountainside connecting with Marshall at both Lotus and Garden Valley. The barely-traveled road and surrounding terrain has a colorful gold rush history. It is well documented the treacherous nature of the countryside caused many a wagon and later automobile to overturn, spilling their passengers down the hillside to their painful date with death. In the 1800s, substantial gold discoveries were made in these hills, which account for its name. As with the age-old stories of prospecting and claim jumping, many a foolish miner who bragged a bit too openly about his quote-unquote find was coincidentally lost among the hills of Prospector. You have to be crazy if you start telling people. That's like, remember we went over to Italy and we had that lady with us? <laughs> That's who I was just thinking of who would pull, pull out, out the hundreds. No surprise that later on a member of our group did get robbed. <laughs> I'm like, guys, don't pull a wad of cash out. Their bodies were often never recovered and more often never looked for. It is known that many spirits roam the Prospector Hills and at least one is still seeking the gold he never recovered while having his life cut short while trying. Perhaps it was his specter who frightened a young couple with poltergeist-like pranks after they settled in a new home along the road. It was late one night the pretty young bride awakened from her fretful slumber. She was cold and had a feeling of something amiss. She pulled the covers up. Then she remembered making a large log fire before retiring, one that should have kept the house warm till morning. She turned her head to see the reflection on the wall, observing the wood still burning in the stove. She was grateful for the mirror on the wall, which made this possible from her second-story bedroom. Then her imagination kicked in, and she thought she heard unnatural noises in the house. She carefully and gently woke her husband, who was not too thrilled to be getting out of bed to indulge her. Together they went down the stairs. 
I knew my husband had locked and bolted the front door before we went to bed, she told us. Now it was ajar. The bolt pin was still in the outward position, yet the wall slot where it should still be secured had not been torn. The couple could find no evidence of forced entry. The mystery of the unexplained open door went unanswered. Everything else appeared as it should, that is, except for their dog. Hearing a frightened whimper, they turned to find their pet huddled and trembling in a corner of the room. Consoling the animal, the husband opened the door and looked outside into the darkness. Nothing. He carefully ran around the house. Nope. Thus the family was introduced to the ghost of Prospector Road. He's a wily old cuss. This apparition is described by residents as rugged, big, stocky, and attired in old pants or work-like clothes. Sometimes he has a canvas-looking raincoat pulled over his head. To those who are able to see him, he appears semi-transparent, tall, and craggy. Some say he's sporting a beard. To those who cannot see him but endure his wrath, he's considered a pesky, annoying trickster. The legend goes, and most folks believe, his purpose is to keep people away from a claim he never received. So I thought those were some fun Gold Rush stories to share with everyone. Absolutely. And, of course, for our Christmas special, we will be following the tradition of telling ghost stories. So we will be doing that and talking about some of the history of Christmas. But we also plan to do some periscoping on Christmas Eve Eve <laughs> that night. So if you guys, you know, you might be doing something with your family, but if not... And you want to hang out with us? What time do you think we'd probably do that, Denise? Build a fire and tell some stories about 8 p.m. Eastern time, you think? Well, 8 p.m. Eastern time? I'm just thinking. I have. Oh, because you work on Christmas Day. I work Day. on Christmas Day, so I have to get up at 3. Well, why don't we make it 7 p.m.? 7 p.m. sounds good. So we'll good. do it from 7 until I can plug the phone in so we can do it a little bit longer because Periscope eats up mm -hmm. battery. But So why don't we do it from about 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time, Christmas Eve night, We'll be periscoping from our back patio around the fire pit telling scary stories. You can join us for that. Absolutely. And that will be December 24th, 2015. Our next show, we are going to do something a little different than what we've done before. We have done a brewery in the past, but we've never done a distillery. Ah. The Buffalo Trace Distillery is the next place that we're going to be visiting. And Denise, we were over at Epcot the other evening. And they have some Christmas treats that, you know, cookies and some hot toddies and other kinds of festive drinks for the holidays. And gingerbread. And wouldn't you know, I'm looking at the list there and I see that they've got some Kentucky bourbon on there. And what distillery do you think it came from? Hmm. Let me guess. Buffalo Trace? That's correct. And I got so excited because I'm like, oh, that's the next haunted location we're doing. How awesome. So... It'll be cool to uh, share that with everybody. We're glad that you tuned in for this one. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode have been Katie. Levi. Dan. Janice. Stephen. Heather. Dave and Ann. Amy. Nicole. Tanya. Leanna. Jade. April. Laura. Seth. Tracy. Josh. Barbara. Laura. Ashley. Griffin. And Roger. Thank you. Society's Rise. And societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen. 